Hello and welcome to Stringer Podcast number 19. That's right, this week is number 19. If you listened to last week's episode, you probably heard me muff up the intro pretty dang bad. Why did he even keep me around? Excited because Dan Gladman is on the podcast. Dan Gladman, you you might not recognize the name, but if you live in Toronto, I assure you, you have seen his work. He is a producer, the producer, a producer, no, the producer on all Raptors live games. So whether it's on TSN, Sportsnet, back in the day on Raptors TV or NBA TV Canada, Dan Gladman definitely had a part in it. And for me, when I was just kind of getting into the industry and, you know, you're unsure of yourself and uncomfortable and you feel like you don't fit in, he was one of those guys that put his arm around me and said, don't worry, buddy, you're going to make it. And he probably didn't use those words, but he made me feel like I was at home, you know, like a good friend does. So I'm very excited, very happy to have Dan Gladman on the podcast. We've been talking about it for a couple months and we're just waiting for a time when our schedules lined up. But before that, actually, first up, have you listened to the Heist podcast? This isn't meant to be a promo or official whatever, but I had a really long drive today um, to a shoot, and I had a really long drive back, and I popped in a couple of their podcasts. Stinking hilarious. These guys are amazing. Amazing. They had uh, what got me into it was they had our buddy Mike Veerman for the Mike on Much podcast on. And so I listened to that one first. And then I'm like, oh no, I got to keep going. Heist podcast. And guys, if you're listening and you want another Canadian voice on the show, my schedule is pretty open. Give me a call. But now I know you've been waiting for it. It's time for the Stringer Big Weekend. First up, Friday, April 13th, Rick Astley at the Opera House, 735 Queen Street East. Rick Astley, everyone. How exciting is that? I know I said I was going to give up singing on the podcast, but how can anyone be expected to resist? I'm never going to give it up. I'm never going to put it down. Never going to stop singing and desert you. Okay, that was a bad adaptation, but hey, whatever. I tried. Rick Astley's at the Opera House, and you know how you get your pretty little mitts on a set of tickets? That's right, Seat Giant. Just head on over to seatgiant.ca and simply type in Rick Astley, and voila, tickets at your fingertips. Ready for me to sweeten the deal? Oh, sure you are. Do you like it when I ask questions and not just give you information? Use promo code STRINGER for an extra discount on your ticks. And guess what? It doesn't just work when trying to get Rick Astley tickets. You can use Seat Giant for just about any event you want to attend in Toronto or anywhere else you want to explore. Go see sporting events, concerts, festivals, and receive a discount on all of it just by using promo code STRINGER. Woo! Isn't that exciting? Fun little Rick Astley story. You all know by now that I'm a massive Foo Fighters fan. And last fall, I headed down to San Bernardino, California for Cal Jam, which the Foo Fighters kind of resurrected. And Rick Astley came on stage with the Foos and they performed just a part of Never Gonna Give You Up. And it was stinking incredible. So who knows? Go see Rick Astley at the Opera House on Friday. And perhaps Dave Grohl will make a surprise appearance. Don't quote me on it, but anything can happen. Saturday, April 14th, Saturday morning, all-you-can-eat cereal cartoon party. Two of my favorite things, all-you-can-eat and cereal. 
Oh no, and cartoons, yes. 10 a.m. at the Royal Cinema Curator, Kier La Janice, I hope I pronounced that correctly, presents a three-hour trip down memory lane with a tribute to eye-popping Saturday morning cartoons of yore, complete with a smorgasbord, what a good word, of delicious sugary cereals. You'll see both faves and obscurities spanning the 40s through the 80s, all punctuated with vintage commercials and PSAs. The lineup is a secret, but the good times are guaranteed. Pretty much. I just wrote that myself. But they are, mostly. $15 for adults, $8 for children, and kids under three eat free. Sunday, April 15th, D-N-D-N-D. Huh? You want to have a sweet night out of role-playing games, drinks, and a delicious meal while supporting a local female-run independent theater company? Of course you do! Well, we have got a fundraiser for you. Q6 Theater presents Dungeons and Dragons and Dinner. Eat, drink, and be merry while taking part in one of six unique role-playing experiences happening in the same room. Talk, laugh, and fight your way into and out of hilarious and harrowing situations in a tailor-made story arc that leads you all to the end of the night when one player from each session takes part in the final encounter. All while being served a hearty and delicious meal fit for a hero. 2.30 p.m. is when it all starts at the Emmett Ray, 924 College Street. And you want more information? Of course you want more information. What else are you doing on Sunday, April 15th? Q6.ca. That's C-U-E number 6.ca. And I'll see you at Dungeons and Dragons and dinner. Please remember that if you have an event coming up, anything you want promoted, hit us up on Twitter at Stringer Podcast or email us podcast at the stringers that's stringers with a z z if you're in the states.com if you don't like our ideas that's cool you don't have to you can just visit seatgiant.ca and use promo code stringer to save a few bucks on all of toronto's events whether we pump it on the podcast or not i've done all the talking i've actually done it twice after i screwed up the intro already and it's time for dg on the road dan gladman i've left you waiting long enough i'm sorry my friend that means there's only one thing left to do dill dylan dylan cue up the sax actually recognize these chairs recognize these chairs that we're sitting in (laughs) (laughs) they're in your office these are your chairs. Straight out of my office? Straight out of your office. You know what? You know what? The first thing I'm thinking of though, sitting in these chairs. Have you ever seen the uh, Zach Galifianakis Absolute Vodka advertisements? No. Oh my God. <laughs> you have to see these. Like it's him and these two semi-famous DJs. I feel like they're called like Tim and... Not Sid. Tim and Sid, but some of So it's the three of them and they were asked to do an advertisement for absolute vodka and they said we'll do it but the only thing about it is we have a hundred percent creative control we write it we do what we want and they actually let them do it so you have this crazy that's wild three minute commercial of zach in his early days like possibly even before between the ferns yeah and it is just like it's so stupid funny you can't even believe what you're watching and when you watch it you'll see what I mean about these chairs that it reminds you of it yep are you a big comedy guy I mean I love laughing yeah 
Should I be talking into this? <laughs> it's well, a soft start. We just pick him wherever we go. I don't. But you I bring don't up really, Zach, and I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, I love comedy. I don't know that much. I don't know who. You know, I have some favorite comics over my life, like anybody. But I wouldn't. I don't have a working knowledge of it. Oh, comedy. Yeah. You know, but there was one night we went to comedy. Is a comedy store in LA? That's the one in West Hollywood. And I think like Eric Smith went on Groupon and got like, he's like, I'm getting six tickets for 10 bucks each. Want to go? And we all went and it was just like hours of laughter. Except Dane Cook. Travis Stone despises Dane Cook. So we all sat there stone faced when Dane Cook was on stage. Dane, Dane performed? Dane's really good at stand up though. He, he is a real. Good. No. Talked about himself endlessly. Mm. That sounds like he had gone through some shit. But, uh, yeah, like his brother stole his fucking money and like... Oh. His brother was his manager and embezzled like $10 million, $12 million. And Dane basically had to restart. Wow. Yeah. And it's wild because you hear it with these young athletes or young singers and they have a parent that is like, I'm going to manage you. And then part of it, I think if I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, it's like they feel they're deserving of it. I agree. I also think there's a second side to that, which is they think because they're the parent or whatever that, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to manage. I know how to manage my son. We don't need some stupid professional. I know how to do yeah. this. And you don't know how to be a manager. You don't, No. You, just because your kid is good at showbiz or sports, has that has no bearing on your abilities to manage the money or manage their career. You have no experience at it. The only reason you're even in the picture is because of the relation. Mm-hmm. So you're so much better off getting a professional experience. But, but then the families fear being extorted by they don't trust someone on the outside completely and well I imagine it would be really tough because here's a for instance and it's a really dumb for instance but I think it kind of fits I needed a new mattress but I don't know jack shit about mattresses and I don't want to walk in and have a sales guy sell me on something I don't mind spending money that's I'm not afraid of it, but I didn't know enough about mattresses and I didn't my life didn't provide me the time to figure it out and learn about mattresses. And so I waited like a year and a half with a big rusty spring in my back before I finally went and figured out this is the kind of mattress I want. This is the frame I want, blah, 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 blah. And I went and I dropped the coin. Again, that's a dumbed down version. But if you apply that, it's scary. You said just because they're kids in sports doesn't mean they know how to figure it out. But just because you're good at basketball doesn't mean you know anything about money. It doesn't mean your parents know anything about money. Your parents definitely don't. Unless they went through it themselves. Full disclosure, (laughs) we've been rolling the whole time. It's always kind of like a really comfortable rolling start. That's the idea is we just kind of get into conversation. You've been rolling this whole time? Yeah, we always, as soon as you walk in the door, we roll. Because I don't want to be the guy that's like... Hello and welcome to the Stringer Podcast. My name is Clayton Hansler and I'm joined by Dan Gladman across the seat from me. Dan, how are you doing? I like your shoes. I was wondering because you were holding the mic to your mouth. I'm like, well, you never know what kind of awesomeness is going to come out. This guy's rolling. Right? Dan Gladman on the podcast. How's it going? It's going great, man. (laughs) You get your like one day off, your one afternoon like bit of fresh air in this crazy streak. And I'm that guy that just books you for it. Well, yeah, you you saw you saw the break in the schedule. You had this, you know, 
But doing a podcast with a friend is not, I can't, I don't consider it work. Uh, funny text message exchange on your way over here. You're like, Clay, I hope you did your research. <laughs> I sure did. And I said, Dan, 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 I have the benefit of knowing what we're going to talk about. Which really is, we'll see. For sure. But I mean, I'm not, that doesn't intimidate me. I can, I'm ready to talk about any topic. Although I, I used to go on uh, Todd Shapiro's radio show podcast, whatever it is at, at Sirius. And he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. How do you meet Todd? Todd is a lot of mutual friends. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we've, we've all kind of, I would say we're a generation older than you, maybe 10 years or so. And a lot of us kind of started at the same time mm-hmm. when, uh, media was a little bit more traditional Mm -hmm. than it is right now and we came up kind of the fundamental way and start with you know joe jobs the first time i actually heard of todd shapiro was when he was on um was the show called blind date or something like that was he oh i think he was on it yeah he's 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 a naturally funny funny dude which i wonder actually he seems like someone who's done the improv training i don't know what he if he has or not but he thinks so well on his feet well i i agree with what you're saying he is um comedically brilliant Mm -hmm. and he is just as a as a broadcaster his ability to think on the fly, to connect with the people sitting with him. And I, I've been to uh, some of his tapings, and he's just on fire, just going from person to person, keeping the, the, the conversation going, telling jokes, remembering who everybody is. I mean, he's probably dealing with four or five guests every day, five days a week for 100 years. It's just mind-boggling the, the the approach that you have to take to doing that when all said and done with him he's a legend in Canadian broadcasting just from the Humble and Fred show. Weird comparison actually that I'd make is Rick Moranis in Rick Moranis's early years <laughs> he was on local radio and if you can go back and you can still find some of his radio shows and he is just dialed in. I would kind of, I'd kind of, if I want to draw a parallel, and obviously, Honey has Shrunk the Kids, million of, and uh, oh, yeah. Doug, Bob and Doug McKenzie. I mean, cer- certainly in their in their fields, I guess they're both Canadian groundbreakers. I mean, yeah, like but Bob and Doug McKenzie is an iconic Canadian showbiz comedy. What they accomplished at at their time when mm-hmm. Canada had no place in media other than for ourselves mm-hmm. and what they are is is pioneers and uh, you know who I'd almost put with them is Wayne and Schuster oh which yeah is, yeah uh, it was a, it was a Saturday night comedy show yep. that came on I feel like it was on be- right before hockey night in Canada were you you grew up a big hockey fan a hundred percent I mean my my first sports memories would be for sure hockey night in Canada on the Saturday night and maybe a little bit of the uh the CHCH midweek game yeah. with Paul Hendrick hosting. Paul Hendrick, that's right. Which is ludicrous because we all ended up working with the guy. Yeah. And but I remember him as as the not the voice of the Leafs, but the host. The host, yeah. He brought and, you into it a hundred percent. And also the Jay watching the Jays. I feel like I would have dialed into the Jays around eighty three, eighty four, but especially eighty five and Fergie Oliver. Don Chevrier. 87, 88 was me. When it was like 87, 88. One of my very first memories, not just sports memories, but memories was in the exhibition grounds and climbing the stairs with a hot dog in my hand. And, and, and here I'm a tyke. Like I'm not 
I could barely see over the seat probably, but I remember being so focused on the hot dog in my hand as I climbed the stairs. I didn't even really care there was a ball game going on. I just had a hot dog that I didn't want to drop when I had to go to the top of the stadium to find our seats. Do you remember how they used to sell Coca-Cola then at the X? It was in this like box carton and you get these little cups. No, I don't remember at all. And so I remember going with with my dad in those days in the early mid 80s and yeah, we'd get the hot dogs and the Cracker Jack, whatever, but we would drink Coca-Cola and and it would it would be in this like paper container pitcher, <laughs> so cheap, and these little mini cups like a Dixie yeah, cup yeah. size, and this is how you're drinking the Coke, and you're just like, Dad, can I have some more Coke? Because there's only like two <laughs> sips in the thing. He, Th- those early days of baseball at, at Exhibition Stadium are just hilarious because it, it was just so bush league, yeah. even though it was a major league baseball yeah. team, and people forget when they moved into the dome, that place was state of the art there nobody had heard of a retractable Retractable roof and mcdonald's catering the thing and the rogers center the dome originally the sky dome is uh still a perfectly functioning baseball stadium it really it really is It, it actually has stood the test of time I remember playing MLB 95, and I remember always playing, every game I played always had to be at the Dome. I didn't want to play at Wrigley Field. I didn't want to play um, in Boston. I wanted to play at the Dome, and you could see the glass windows of the restaurant at the end. And and as your as your batter is up, you know, ready to swing, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever because it, it gave us an identity. I think in Toronto, and the roof gave us an identity, and just the odd look of the building, everything about it. But it was neat uh, for me, being like, oh my goodness, we are in a video game, not not the J. We are <laughs> for sure, and you you can look at sports and and the role that sports have played in. Uh the growth of Toronto. I mean, when I was a kid, Toronto wasn't much of a city. Mm -hmm. It just didn't have, it certainly didn't have a reputation outside of Canada. And in in Canada, people would have told you at the time, Montreal was a, was a far superior city in terms of nightlife, food, fashion, even business and commerce and money. I mean, Montreal was, was so far ahead and yeah, the Leafs were always a very local product throughout their history, especially in the decades where they were maybe the most successful team in the NHL. And then in the 80s, you know, they're still the Leafs, but they're not as successful on the ice. And really, outside of Canada, being honest, the NHL is a niche kind of thing. But then when you're getting into baseball and the Jays really had their first taste of success in 85. And I remember when Kansas City beat them in the American League Championship Series after coming back 3-1, beat them 4-3. And I remember, I think it was Bob Costas and he was interviewing someone on the winning Kansas City. And he said, how does it feel? You saved your country from possibly the pennant going to to Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it was, was thought of at the time. Yeah. It, Toronto was... A sporting outpost, and th- this is where I'm coming back to what you said, and I do agree with you. The, the Sky Dome, the Jays winning the World Series 92-93, which really opened the door to the NBA team coming. Because at 92-93, the American sports r- world is realizing Toronto is a major market where mm-hmm. all of us are going to make money from. There's no reason we can't be there. And you know, to this day right now, Toronto in North America is probably the fourth biggest market but yeah it really it's that Skydome going in the Jays winning the World Series and then the NBA team so there you are by 95 
a world apart from where you were even six, seven years yeah. earlier. And then you finish off the, before the end of the decade, you get Air Canada Center. And yep. that, again, state of the art. And that's where, when the Air Canada Center goes in, Toronto's just in a different place than mm-hmm. where it was the previous decade. Now it's everybody in the States knows Toronto. They might mm-hmm. not know who our prime minister is, right? but they know about Toronto and... You know, they know that that is a city worth reckoning with. And now when you're in the States now, I mean, and, and you do all, you've done all kinds of traveling and, and, you know, you talk to Americans and it's either, ah, I've been to Toronto and I love it or, ah, I've never been to Toronto. It's number one on my list. Good. I'm glad we got here and we got here very naturally because I feel that to travel as much as you do, everyone knows Dan Gladman, but if you don't know him, you've been influenced by him. A hundred percent. You've been six, five years, six years now doing, producing Raptors games? Actually, this is my ninth. I thought you did your research. I told you I, <laughs> did, I direct the conversation. Oh, right, right. Ninth. This will be my ninth year producing the games. I spent four years in the truck as an assistant producer, and this is my 17th year working for the Raptors. Jeez. And they've only been around for 23. I've literally <laughs> seen almost every game they've ever played. Put that on my tombstone. <laughs> yeah, it, it, because it's not a resume. It's not going to go on a plaque. No, yeah, nothing. Nothing to, like tombstone that. Tombstone is probably the closest. Dan Gladman get. watched every game the Raptors <laughs> ever played. <Died>. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so what's really interesting about that, that means your first year producing would have been the first year we were in the same office together. Because I, I think I, yeah, I came to 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 uh, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment in the 307 Lakeshore offices in 2009. So there's a neat benchmark. Um, 41 games. Say out of 41 games, you probably do let me 30, 32 trips. It's probably 25 times because you know most of the games aren't one-offs. It's usually right. at least two a two-game trip to really make it cost efficient for the team for the league and but you know then there's the five gamers the six gamers so you, you know we probably disembark about 25 times 25 I'd say, times which is a lot yeah it's it's got to be february march where you're like okay let's start winding her down let's let's i want to sleep at home for more than one night you're right on here kind of close Fe- february's traditionally pretty good yeah there's the all-star break right people will always say to me oh yeah you must be going to la for all-star and i say oh hell no no (laughs) it is the all-star break Break. yeah and yeah everybody sees the top players going there and obviously there's tons of television but for the great majority of the league most of the players most of the coaches the beat writers Mm -hmm. certainly the tv broadcasters and producers it is a break it's a week off a lot of people go away i hibernate in my home yeah but then the all-star break ends (laughs) and the games just come at you fast and furious march has been nuts i think when march is done we'll have done 15 games in the in the 31 days and you know we were out of town of the 15 probably seven or eight of them or nine so Yes, with with a handful of games left in the regular season, I'm pretty much at the point where don't put me on another airplane. Right. Don't put me on another bus. Right. If I can't walk there, <laughs> I'm not going. For everyone that says I want to travel for my job, it takes a special kind of person to be able to open up that suitcase, fill it with just the right clothes, leave 
be on the schedule you're on because let's remember when you're on the road, it's generally they're telling you you're going to step out your door and you're not going to stop working until you get to step back in your door when you come home. What makes a good road a road person? Like what a good what, road warrior? Good road warrior. Exactly. One thing they always talk about with the athletes is their routine. And I just have a routine and no, I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive enough yeah, that it it just it has to be met and it it starts with packing my bag before I leave. I know what clothes I want for certain scenarios. I know which days on the road I'm going to try to get to the hotel gym. And you try to have a certain place in each city where you like to go and grab your lunch before you go out. I always was fortunate enough to travel as a kid. My dad took me on some pretty amazing sports trips when I was a kid and, you know, spoiled brat teenager probably didn't deserve it but he did anyway thanks dad and then when I got to university part of life there was going on road trips going to concerts fish concerts uh, by chance you could say that yep. yeah one or two yep yeah, cool. I mean it didn't start with fish that became the obsession but yeah. I, I remember traveling to to see Van Halen concerts oh, Guns and Roses Metallica you know whoever were the bands at that time. And I, and I, I went to Buffalo with some friends in 1992, uh, saw the Grateful Dead at the football stadium in Buffalo, Orchard Park, New York. And as a 18 year old mind, completely blown seeing 60,000 deadheads invade this poor city, take over this football stadium and just see that that way of life exists. So from there on, it was road trips whenever possible. I had a car that helped me get friends yeah. and we were on the road. So it was always going to be part of who I was. And th- this summer will come and there'll be road trips to see concerts still, even at my advanced age. Here, let me pump your tires for a second. <laughs> Not only would I never be able to guess your age in a hundred years, you take care of yourself, Dan. Like you have done a very good job of taking care of yourself. To where me, I might be a couple years younger, but I'm quite envious. <laughs> You're probably 10 years younger than me, at least. And I mean, it's a choice. It is a choice. It's just, it's, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just a choice we make. I almost don't even know how I started to even care because there was a time where I was just, whatever was in front of me, I would eat. <laughs> if anybody wanted to go get a beer, I was the first guy to say, yeah, let's go. <laughs> And to the point where now I lose friends because, uh, really, we're going to go for beers? I, I had one beer last Tuesday. I don't know I don't if think I can if do I should that. Have one. The carb levels are extremely high <laughs> in beer. You know, you get a bit older, you start paying attention to some of these things, and you just, I don't know, it you, becomes you part can, of the routine. <laughs> you just slot it in. You did. I, you for me, when I get to the airport, when, when I know, when I find my groove, Oddly enough, is during security because I'm I always have the exact same amount of things with me, which means I need the, the exact same amount of trays to put my stuff in. <laughs> you got to pull out your laptop, take yep. off your belt, remove your shoes. It is such a routine for me at that point. That's when I that's when my brain really gets into it. It's up until the airport. I'm generally on an hour's sleep and frantically running around hoping I didn't forget anything. But as soon as I go through security, I'm like, okay, I'm in my place and. Because of the team I was with, we did a lot of commercial travel, which means a couple of things. Thanks for the air miles. Really appreciate it. 
but there is then you're like, okay, it's the booster juice, right? As soon as you get through customs, go down the elevator, there's a booster juice on your right. Then there is, you know, do we get the terminal with the iPads at the tables <laughs> or am I busting out a new podcast or am I, is my laptop open doing a little bit of work, right? And it's all these little decisions that up to the whole thing for me on game day, I generally would start the day always shooting Scenex, right? Which is great for me because you get out of the hotel, you have your camera with you and you just get to walk around the city and shoot shit that looks sweet but completely the routine you have and being able to keep that is perhaps the only thing tethering you to your sanity absolutely especially when you're doing it day by day week by week that team you you worked with i i worked with that team as well you did that's I've right i've done i've done that commercial travel you it did. was very different the only stories i can think of you working in major league soccer are are funny ones where I think perhaps you've been overworked by that point <laughs> and you just want to get the fuck out. <laughs> I don't know if this is still the rule, but the MLS teams can have a charter once a year, right? Only if there's no direct flights offered from where you are oh. to there. Well, so like we can't do LA and Toronto is such a hub, which means the only one we really ever got was to Salt Portland Lake. or to Salt Lake. We did the Salt Lake and... Well, the one thing with, with TFC in, in those days was they'd normally fly back the next day. Yeah. We'd get commercial flights the next day. But on this instance, they were going to fly back. That night. So we were flying back from Salt Lake City to Toronto. And the plane they got <laughs> was kind of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't this giant jet <laughs> no. that the Raptor that I was accustomed with the Raptors. So it's a small jet. It just didn't have enough room for enough <laughs> gas to get us so from Salt Lake land. City to Toronto. So we had to land halfway in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa. I have never been to Iowa. And if anybody asked me if I've ever been to Iowa, no, I haven't no, been to no, fucking I, I, Iowa. I didn't okay, fu- I didn't leave except the airport. stop over there once at two in the morning, and then it was too late. To come back to Toronto, so we landed in Hamilton at three in the morning. And so here we are in Hamilton at three in the morning, and there's a bus waiting for TFC. And Precky said, team only. So now, after working all day in Utah. In Utah. And then flying overnight from Utah with a stopover Which in means- Iowa. Here we are with our bags at the Hamilton Airport at 3.30 in the morning on a Saturday. Left. Just left. Just left. And just like, left. I don't... Somehow, um, we ended up being picked up by Brian Burke's driver. Picked us up, drove to Hamilton. We sat out there wow. waiting for like an hour. And we got driven back to Toronto. And I think he drove us to Terminal 1 at Pearson because that's where our cars. cars were. Yeah. So... That was <laughs> that's the T, that's the TSC travel adventure story I usually tell first. Salt Lake City, Utah, is one of the most unique cities I've ever traveled in. And we're out at some great establishment. I remember they were saying last call at eleven forty because they had to close up by midnight because they couldn't serve any alcohol after twelve. And there were people drinking out of pitchers as fast as they could. Because they wanted to order one more before last call. And we're like, oh, this is odd. (laughs) Like, odd describes it perfectly. Well, 
I, I remember being in Salt Lake City, oh two, oh three, and we had to fill out a form to get a membership card in order to be allowed in to order drink. to be allowed to buy a drink. Now you have to order a certain amount of food. There's like a ratio if you order drinks of amount of food you have to have on the table. Really? So literally, when we were there, we were ordering drinks, and we we would be like two appetizers. Per two orders, and we had six people with us. I think it was something like that. Was their ratio of what counts as food? And then we get the appetizers and go hand it around the bar and meet people <laughs> and make friends because we didn't want the food. We just got out of dinner. We don't need the food. In all fairness, though, you do that in Toronto. But just hand out food. Go, you know, table to table, <laughs> introducing yourself. Hi, I'm Clay. That's, How you hey, doing today? How's it going? Do you want some deep fried pickles? <laughs> I, I'm thinking the next time I'm in Salt Lake City with like Jack Armstrong. <laughs> We'll have to order about a hundred orders of French fries just to like get a sustainable amount of drinks. Jack Armstrong has endeared himself into the hearts of everyone in Toronto. I'm glad again you brought him up. What who's is running it? the show here, Clay? What is it? You're totally you're the puppet master. I agree with where you're going with this. Jack Armstrong has built himself his brand from guy talking about the Raptors into an iconic figure in Canadian broadcasting. He, he truly has. And, you know, you don't have to look any further than he's won the, the Canadian Screen Award for the best sports analyst the just, last just two years. Past, the last uh, two years. Last two years. And I can tell you, those were the first two years we nominated him. Boom, he wins both times. And that that's an indication of his popularity and his impact on the viewership and the listenership about the Raptors and what he brings to the table, which is a personality that the Canadian sports fan and even the Canadian media viewer just falls for. It starts with the Brooklyn accent, which to to our neutral sounding voices, a Brooklyn accent is just incredible. We, We all fall for it. We can't help it. Um, his his fiery personality, his passion for basketball, his his zest for living, and it just it all comes across uh, whenever he speaks into a microphone and and off for that matter. But he just has a, an engaging, endearing personality that has made him a rock star in Toronto and Canada. He's a great teacher too, I think, and that's what I pick up from him. I came into basketball late. Like, really, really, really late. I was already working uh, with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment when I really took on to basketball, and it caught fire quick. But he's an instructor. Everything he does is, I feel he's trying to teach you something in the end. And when I think when someone can show you something, when you can take something away, then they hold that piece inside of you forever. They're like, oh, no, no, I, I'm a little bit smarter now because of what he said. Um, and that's just the way he delivers information. What in the first years of him being a broadcaster in Toronto, what did everyone call him? Coach. Coach. Yeah. No one does that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now he's Jacko. <laughs> you know, but his background is as a coach. I don't want to screw up the details of what schools he mm-hmm. was at, but he went to he went to Fordham and he was an assistant coach very young in life. I mean, I believe in his twenties, and he was the head coach at Niagara, certainly in his thirties. He was young at it. So his instincts are as a, a basketball coach. That's what he knows. Uh, teaching, like you said, X's and O's, giving tips on young people how to play basketball, but also leadership. And 
yeah, that that can't help but come out not only in his broadcasting of of basketball, but in his his personality day to day. There's one thing though that Jack has taught us. It's not the X's and O's, the Jimmies and Joes. But the Jimmies and Joes. As a producer, what's the right way to tackle like personalities? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two answers, and one's gonna be the serious answer, and the second is gonna be it'll be a little bit of an appeal to humor, and I'll also get to mention one of my favorite comedians. Amazing. Okay, first. Being straight up, you, you got to be you. You got to be who you are. You have to have confidence in your ability to interact with the people around you. Now, that does sound easy. And for a lot of people, probably for 100% of us, we fluctuate with that. There's some days where you feel great and you feel like a leader of men and women. And then there's other days where you feel no one's listening to me. Nobody cares what I have to say. I just got to get through this, go home and cry. Okay. And I'm saying this from experience. I, you know, I, I've been through it. I, I, I came into a situation where I was a young, inexperienced producer, inexperienced to leadership with a cast of characters on air people who were very experienced, had been doing television for 10, 20, 25 years how do I step into my first show producing Raptors on TSN in 2009 and I'm producing Rod Black, who I've been watching on television for 20 years and have respected and admired and, and said to myself, man, this guy is such a good broadcaster, I can't even believe it. That's before working with him. You just have to go in be, and just be honest to yourself. And, and for me, I think that does include just trying to make people feel great about themselves and, and, and what they're doing. And, you know, something as small as great job with that hit or awesome broadcast as always. What's wrong with complimenting each other? It's it's great. And I mean, when I say it, I'm not whistling Dixie. I, I mean it. It comes from a, a very sincere place. And I know that if the Raptors make it to the NBA Finals and Matt Devlin calls the play-by-play for that game, he will be amazing at it. I know that. I I just have that faith from experience, have that confidence in those people. But that does lead to the second part. I promise the second part. And we'll go to one of, I think is one of the great TV shows of all time, the Larry Sanders show. And uh, the unbelievable comedian Gary Shandling. And there's a film uh, on HBO right now. I think it's called The Zen of Gary Mm -hmm. Shandling. I have it on PVR. I haven't had a chance to watch it. But there there were such amazing characters on that show. But the one that really stood out was the Rip Torn character, his producer, right? And like every word out of Rip Torn's mouth in this show is just the funniest thing you've ever heard. He'll he'll uh, be hypocritical of himself within three seconds, but everything he says is always to the betterment of the star of the show. It's almost like the producer's only... If you watched the Larry Sanders show, you would think... Wow, the producer's only show is to kiss the talent's ass. And maybe I'm being a little severe with that, but at the same time, for me, especially when they're on the air, I just, 
I just you just want to make them feel good. You want yeah. to make them feel comfortable, and it's really important to do that. And it's really important to side with them and let let people know what you think of them. Now, is that how they teach leadership and leadership one on one on one at Harvard? I don't know, but I guess my my style and even the way I am just day to day is look. If we're talking, I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to know that I think the world of you and. That's what we're going to do and that's how we're going to that's how we're going to produce this. I think the signs of a great leader is the person who's able to inject whatever a situation needs. And on some days or at some moments or with some groups that is organization. On some days with some groups that could be just absolute creative control, right? Because there's there's a lot of indecision going on. But with some groups that could be simply support that to be a great leader you need to inject the one thing that that group needs to function at the highest level and with your group support 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 and that's what you've learned and that's what makes you a great leader that is my hypothesis (laughs) if you're if you're telling the world i'm a great leader i i will thank you for that if you took a poll of people i don't know if they'd agree it doesn't matter but i know that people who operate at top efficiency people who are already established as stars, i.e. Matt and Jack. I know that when Jack says something on t- uh, live on TV that I particularly like, and I will say, you know, I'll come on the, the intercom and I'll say, awesome analysis, Jack. And whether he responds to that or not, to me, isn't important, but sometimes he will say thank you. And even when you're, you know, when you're Jack, you're the best sports analyst in Canada as chosen by your peers. It's still nice to know that someone listened to what you just said and patted you on the back for it there's there's no substitute for that it's Mm -hmm. it's positive reinforcement it's it's why in sports you know the Raptors know DeMar DeRozan can shoot a basketball from 15 feet and it goes in the net but you know what when he does it it's still nice to get the high five it's like when he does the air fives on the free throws Mm -hmm. the dude makes 85 percent of his free throws we know he can hit a free throw but he likes Given the high five to the air yeah. as if it's one of his teammates on, yeah. a, on a technical when there's no one there. It's it's just part of the process. It's part of sports, and I believe it should be part of live television. We let each other know when they've done something nice. Ooh, I like this because we're kind of getting philosophical in a way. With so much focus on criticism, it's nice to believe in a place but then develop a place that surrounds itself in positivity and says no 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 because if you're leading a truck or if you're leading any sort of group and you say by example this is how we do things right Dylan you're doing a great job today you know I really appreciate the fact that you're here Dan I know you've been really busy I really appreciate the the fact that you took time out they might not learn something on the first day but on the third day, on the 30th day, on road trip 31 or game eight or 41 or game 82, they're going to turn to the new Chiron person in the truck and say, hey, you know what? Thank you. I really appreciate that. I needed that help. And it just kind of it creates this bubble of positivity when perhaps in the past the truck has been known to be a bit of a war zone. There doesn't have to be the stress in the truck. Mm-hmm. Now, something can go wrong. And I've I've had my meltdowns and my freakouts and I wish I could take them back. But the bottom line is everyone's there doing a job. We do it almost every day. Everyone's good at what they do. And yeah, you're right. You you, you do want them there the next day. Part of having them back the next day is treating them well, treating them like human beings. And when when 
you know, there's there's certain things that happen that I don't like. And as the producer, as the quote leader in the room, and as the person in the production staff who's been doing it the longest, I do uh, hold the right to to criticize something I don't like. And you know, I will do it, but I I, I try not to make a tantrum out of it. <laughs> which in the heat of the moment, it still sometimes it slips out. But that can happen anywhere in the workplace. And the best way to do it is to you pull someone aside. This happened. I think it could be better if we do this. But also when you did this, I loved it. You know, the, I, I kind of believe these are work techniques, leadership techniques that are taught in management, or I would hope that's how they teach it in management. Because as you said, 20, 30 years ago in sports broadcast trucks, they were they were ridiculous, way too much stress, people not being treated properly. And it makes me wonder, probably the whole workforce was like that in those days too. I mean, we're seeing as every day goes by this exposure of how human beings are treated at work. Well, even if you're paying someone to be there to do a certain job, they still deserve to be treated with a certain amount of decorum and manners Mm -hmm. and courtesy that are kind of almost more important than the actual work that's being done. You have siblings? I have a brother and a sister. You have a brother and a sister? And where do they fit older, younger? Where oh, you? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest? So am I. There you go. Right on. See? My honestly, we're in media. My goodness, it's funny. This is going to be two straight weeks that I've brought my mom up on the podcast, and I really hope she doesn't listen. <laughs> but I, I'm. she's still waiting for me, I believe, to get a real job. My mom was my largest support through my teen years. She was the one who always told me that I have the ability to do anything. That it doesn't matter what it is. She's like, you'll do it and you will do well at it because you have the ability to learn and to adapt. And she's always had voice in my head. What she didn't realize is that's going to motivate her son not to be an accountant or to be a lawyer, but instead to go into the creative field and and, and want to make film. And, and she was like, no, 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 no. This backfired. This isn't what we wanted to do at all. To that, I want to say that the history of show business is littered with people who were told from a young age you can't you can't do this you need to be a doctor you need to be a lawyer there's no money in this there's no money in journalism I was told that not not by my parents my parents were always very supportive and I went to journalism school but there were some elder family members who you know I was told don't go to journalism school there's no jobs Okay, because because you know, how do you know? You you you've studied this. You've You're done a failed st- journalist. I'm really sorry <laughs> to hear that. And, and it, it's people just find their way here. For me, as a little kid, I was watching sports. I was reading the paper voraciously. Um, I had a pretend radio station at home by the time I was nine years old, and I would record shows off. I don't know. 680 CFTR 680 or 1050 chum whatever the teeny bopper stations were at the time and I'd voice myself on a tape recorder and And then you play the song because this is exactly what I do right I just replace the DJ with my own nine-year-old voice and it just when you're when you're a kid and I don't understand how every kid didn't see it that way but there's a certain breed of us who saw what DJs and TV people were doing and 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 writers in in all fairness like I loved reading the paper I love reading books this is the most awesome thing ever. Mm-hmm. 
And when you talk to people in, in our industry and people we've all worked with, we all have the same, it's been the same. We were obsessed with media from the first chance you could read or see, see what was going on. And, you know, the TV shows you watch when you were a little kid and what, what newspaper and these things influence how you get there. And there's, there's no predicting who's going to get there or how everybody has a different path, but you know, the parents at this point, they can sit back and watch and enjoy what we're doing. It's just the thing that was funny to me was your mom's waiting for you to get a job, a real job. My mom's waiting for me to get a wife. <laughs> oh, so, I think maybe, she's given up. <laughs> may, okay. Maybe we can help each other out. I'll introduce you to a couple of my friends. Okay. You got to get me a real job in the truck or something like that. I, I would Deal. imagine, you know what? I Easy. Bet, I bet if I came in early and slung line like and 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 hooked up all the cameras if i had a technical role i bet you that would qualify as a real job it's because having a creative role is you can't quantify what you're doing the thing that you mentioned there about the technical that stuff is real work Mm. it's this needs to go here in order for this to work this needs to be done to get this on the air Mm -hmm. the production people some someone like me, the job itself is kind of metaphysical. You know, I really only utilize a laptop and then I have to scramble, especially on the road, to find a printer so I can, here's a printout of what our, of the vision of what we're going to do tonight yeah. is. So it, it, it's hard to describe that as an actual job. It, it's, but that's what a producer does. And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything, anything no. else in the world, but it's hard to kind of explain when, when people ask exactly what that person does, especially in sports where you can't really reinvent the wheel. It is what it is. There's a sporting event, a news producer, and those are some of the people who I admire the most, the changing landscape day to day, almost minute by minute, um, and how they're altering their lineups and deciding what stories they want to tell, what stories have to get dropped, and even what stories they have enough information to safely report on. And it, I, I find the, the news world fascinating in that way. But the fact is, these are jobs. People on the outside just see what's on TV and they think it's wonderful, but they think that those kinds of jobs are out of reach for whatever reason. But I think it's it's people in our generation who have shown you know, and also in Toronto, it, it's one of the biggest industries here. In fact, media, film, production, I've been told is the second biggest industry in Ontario. Yeah, interesting. So it is a legit form of, of making a living mm-hmm. to, to grow up in Ontario and think that you're going to work in media. Now, not everyone's going to be on television or produce uh, behind the scenes of Toronto FC or host their own podcast or host their own podcast but these things are completely available and very doable for people in this province and this is what i kind of love about right now where we're at technologically um is that it takes a little more than just a will like to want to do it to be honest i came when we met nine years ago I had never touched a video camera in my life. <laughs> I had I had done still photography in my teen years, but I hadn't touched a video camera. I didn't know what I was doing. It was just I in my head had a story I wanted to tell, and and they said, "Well, you know what? We don't know if you're going to be good at this because you've never done it before. But hey, if you want to use our stuff, you can use our stuff." Which I can never repay them for. Just that ability to to touch 
you know, quote unquote professional equipment. And then you just kind of figure it out from there. And, and as everything's gotten less expensive or your friends buy it and you can get your hands on it easy, whether it's an audio recorder or whether it's a program to record your podcast on a computer or there's your iPhone to record video, I, I am blown away at how attainable it is for people. And yet sometimes the only thing holding them back is themselves saying that it's out of reach, saying, oh, I, I just don't know where to start. And I'm like, start right there. You've got it on your lap. Just go. Just do it. You'll get one listener for sure. I listen to all sorts of shit. <laughs> I mean, everything's do it yourself now. Everything. If you have a, a camera, a friend, and a DeGero, Did you're you? a walking TV station. But what, you, what I don't, what I, what surprises me is that people don't even realize that they already are broadcasting. Everybody who posts anything on Facebook, I hate to break it to you. You're a you're, curator of content. You're in the media. Yeah, completely. You make content. When you post something on your Facebook, you are broadcasting to the world. You're already a broadcaster. And like you said, the tools are all built in. Anybody can sit on their couch at home, stare at their computer, your your webcam, it's probably on. You probably don't even know it's already on. True. So every everybody who participates in even the slightest bit of social media most of them only think of it as the social part, but you're in the media. Every, everyone's media right now, and for anybody who's on the way up, it's kind of, you know, when I, I talk to students, young people who are trying to get into the industry, I've been telling this for years already. Do it yourself. DIY. Yeah. Get a friend to shoot you, even on your cell phone. Do the work, and even if you don't get a job out of it or you get 50 viewers a month, who cares? You're doing it for yourself anyway. Completely. The, the, the whole reason, like you said, you wanted to tell stories. That's why you landed in what you're doing. Isn't that what we're all doing? We're, yeah. We just have this urge to tell stories. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of ego involved with us. We want the public to see what we're doing. But nobody ever worried about that when Tom Hanks did a film or when Tom Brokaw did the news. It's this is people have this desire to present content and information to the world and anybody who does have that desire can easily go and do it first of all since i've opened the office i've had uh, the privilege of being able to work um, with many different outlets throughout not just canada but the u.s as well but i've done a couple really fun things with tsn and and they asked me they're like oh can you help us out with one extra thing we're there we're in buffalo doing a shoot for them and they're like can you help us out with this one extra thing they wanted to do you know like we have the two panels side by side where you have the one guy on location and double then, ender so they yeah. want to do a double ender we didn't have the ability because we didn't have a digero with us they thought maybe we'll drive one to you we used an iphone 7 in order for them to do this thing that went on the air and ran all night because Sports Center runs until like 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. But they're like, all we have to do is plug a microphone in. We have a camera that can hold, like carry 4K. It can definitely do HD. You just got to stay still, right? We, we, we propped it up. We took a tripod with actually a real like heavy duty camera on it. And then we took... We needed a flat surface, so we took like a book, and then we leaned legit the the iPhone up to it, so, because they could get it Im- immediately. And I thought I was blown away that all it takes is someone just to be like, "Yes, you can." Not, "Oh, what are all the things in the way?" Yeah, no, 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 no we can do this. 
And it's good enough for TSN. For me, it goes back to the first war in Iraq, I think 1990, 91. And that was the first time you saw minute by minute updates. Here's what's happening. I'm in the hotel Baghdad and we're being bombed and I'm on the phone with CNN. Yeah. That is burned into my memory and it will never go away. And, you know, that from there... That's to me, journalism took a fundamental change there where the journalist is part of the story and the journalist is there and you're just reporting from the moment, no matter what technology is available to Mm -hmm. you. In 2005, let's say, I don't think CNN could have ever imagined that some dude in his slippers at home they have to bring him on as an expert mm-hmm. and he's going to talk on Skype and they're going to put it on CNN, this bastion of television professionalism and perfection. But we're going to now put a grainy Skype video on. Yeah. Well, the philosophy of that changed. And now people who are experts in politics and maybe it's it's bleeding into sports now and you gave the example. Sometimes you just have to go to the person who's there mm-hmm. and if the best technology isn't available... You go to the next best technology. This all goes to Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message. There's almost an urgency. It's sometimes almost better that here's Clayton Hansler on grainy video because something just broke. It's happening right now. Of course, we can't have our ace camera operator and our ace reporter there because this just broke three yeah. minutes ago yeah. so here's what we do have go and we go, have go, it go, and, go. and our competition doesn't Jump. have it yeah to me that's changed the face of of how news and sports are reported and it it's all the technology and once again you know you're in the industry and you were there but at the same time it could have been anybody in any situation on their iphone you know being a journalist now for some reason in my mind i'm thinking of horrible incidents the the ones coming to my mind right now is remember there was the 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 kid on a the dundas street car and he got shot by police i do remember that now you had a lot of people horrified on that streetcar and were th- scared for their life and wanted to, you know. If there had been a person on that streetcar who thought to his or herself, I'm just going to open my iPhone now and open my video camera. I mean, 99% of the population is, is going to think, that's terrible. Weren't you worried for your life? Or what are you doing? But as a journalist, my instinct is... Turn on your camera, see what you get, yeah. and it's reality, it's happening in front of you. You have the means of production to get something out of this, and maybe by giving out that information down the road, you're, you're helping the world because it's it's being recorded, and maybe humanity can, can learn from it. And the, the truth is, that means every single one of us out there is a journalist now, as, or as we said before, is a member of the media, mm-hmm. and... The, the technology has just put that much power in all of our hands. Dan, we have we have killed it. But I want to get one thing out of you because nine years, nine and then 17 of 23 with the Raptors. It's unreal. Is is there one moment you can hail back to like hearken back to be like, you know what? This moment. Yeah, there's been a lot of great moments. But this moment was knowing that I was there, I was part of the broadcast, was really stinking sick. It's hard to narrow it down, obviously. Um, but the, the one... They always say that. The super famous people always say that. 
I'll, I'll narrow it down to one because it's relatively new in, in my memory. And it was when the Raptors won game seven against Miami and advanced to the East Finals against LeBron in Cleveland. And it was, a, it was a crazy day because one of my best friends, my buddy Stewie, was getting married that night. Close. It was at the Berkeley Church. So it was mm. nice and close to ACC. And I couldn't commit. Like, am I coming? Am I not coming? Am I going to be a, a Sorry, my man? Right? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. You I can't. Just, yeah. I literally can't tell you until the day before if I'm coming to your wedding. And miraculously, the game seven, I feel like it was scheduled at at 3.30 or 5.30 instead of 8 on the Sunday, even though it was a game seven. And so I knew I was going to be able to go to the wedding and I knew the Raptors were going to win the game. Yeah, This one I knew. To me, there there was no doubt going in. Game seven at home, I don't care if they have Dwayne Wade. The the Raptors ran away with the game. I feel like they won by 18. The audience inside the arena did not know what to do with themselves. It's here we are. We've won two rounds now. And we will now play LeBron. When I walked out of the arena to get in a cab to get to the Berkeley Church to get to the wedding just in time for the reception, the, the audi- once the audience spilled out onto Bay Street, again, like party central. It was like being back at the Grateful Dead concert in Buffalo in 1992, where people were just so enthralled, so excited with themselves, could not believe what was going on. And it, it was in that moment where I just, you know, I've, I mean, I'd already felt so honored and privileged to be mm-hmm. involved in it, but um, to see the culmination of We the North. Hi, we just beat Dwayne Wade, Hall of Famer in Miami in Game 7, and now we're going to the East Finals. It, it was an enormous step for the basketball team. I won't go into the Neil Armstrong quote. I almost did. I held back. I was one of those... You sure were. Drunk idiots pouring out on the base street. You had your DeRozan street. jacket on. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, you know yep. my DeRozan jacket well. I do. I was. That was the all-star jacket. That, uh, Good purchase. I, it was a great I purchase. was envious when I saw you in that. I'm like, well, I how did I not you get one? How did I not? Next time. How did I not get? Next, next time the all-star game's in Toronto. Next, or next time there's an all-star. There's got to be another one. Demar needs five. Like, he has four. <laughs> he needs five. You can't just round. You just can't end up at four. Uh... NBA playoffs are starting. I'm stupid excited this year, and I hope you're stupid excited. (laughs) I wish so badly. The one thing I have never gotten, and I don't think I'll ever get, is I want you to come sit with me during a game, and we can just watch. Not happen. It's not going to happen at all. You've got the coolest How about a TFC game? We could do that. Yeah, you want to do it? But then at a TFC TFC game, I I still need someone to explain to me what's going on. No, I'm not that guy. Honestly, okay, we'll just go to the I've beer said, tent yeah, then. We'll just go to the beer tent and we'll hang out there. I've said yeah. ever since I think the day I met Dave Leader, someone we've both worked with, you still work with, um, I have always said that I learned that I am not a sports guy. Dave is a sports guy. Yes. He can tell you he recalls so much information that he bumps into in passing that he makes me realize that no I'm a story guy that's what a sports guy looks like so I can't tell you what happens at a TFC game I believe Dave has a photographic memory him him and Matt Devlin I think they both have photographic memories I can never get anything by either of them anything I tell them they both already know like Dave is so on it he already knows every sports tidbit before I even 
get near it. And he remembers it too. That's it. We're having a trivia night. It's going to be Devlin, team one. It's going to be leader, team two. And it's going to be Dylan, team three. It's going to be a show off because I'm dying to see who wins this one. Dan, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking like your one day off in three months and coming and hanging (laughs) out. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. But we're definitely planning this trip to Salt Lake City, Utah. And when you get a longer stretch in the summer, maybe you're going to come back. Maybe uh, we can I'd, talk I'd again. Love to. I'd love to. Part two. We wrap up every single podcast the exact same way. Hopefully you can help us with it. It's kind of in line with you, the way you control your truck. I think it's very important for people uh, not just to be good to those around them, but also be good to themselves. Because I think that kind of helps the whole, you know... The whole changing of the culture right now into hopefully a more positive one. So we finish off. I say a line, and then the last line is, "And eat your vegetables." So you think you can help us with that? I'll, that I have to say, pretty easy you'll say, "And eat your, your vegetables." Diet. So you're going to say something, and I'm going to yeah, say, "And eat yeah, your vegetables." Yeah. Exactly. We got it. So everyone. Dan, thank you. From Dylan, Dylan, thank you. Luca, who's on this editing, thank you, Luca. Please, please, please be good to yourself and eat your vegetables. Sing!